According to data collected by the website eBird and curated by the American Bird Conservancy, there are at least 488 species of our feathered friends in Virginia. Every edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement, including this February 20th, 2024 edition, is fueled by observations of the activities of winged creatures who are unaware of the existence of journalism. I'm Sean Tubbs, and perhaps there's grant funding available to attempt translations to penetrate this untapped market. On today's program, work could start this summer on new infrastructure at the Square in Crozet. A project to create a safety plan for area roads in the region goes before the Greene County and Nelson County Boards of Supervisors. And Charlottesville City Council has another discussion about the fiscal year 25 budget and learns more about a process driven by their priorities to retain staff and implement collective bargaining. In today's first subscriber-supported public service announcement, Relief Seaville exists to reverse a worrying trend. Since 2004, Charlottesville's tree canopy has declined from 50% to 38%. Two-thirds of the city's neighborhoods are below 40%. Relief Seaville aims to change that through a series of tree plantings, preservation efforts, and education campaigns. Relief is a public-private partnership between the City Tree Commission, the Nature Conservancy, City of Promise, Charlottesville Area Tree Stewards, and the Vanieri's Tree Company. Their efforts are funded through donations, so consider making yours today. There's a link in the newsletter. In June of 2012, Albemarle County acquired a 0.36-acre parcel in downtown Crozet from CSX Transportation in a transaction in which no money changed hands. The strip of land is known as The Square and spans between Crozet Avenue and Oak Street on the western edge of the Barnes Lumberyard. Nearly 14 years later, the county's Facilities and Environmental Services Department reports that a project to improve the space is close to a development milestone. Here is the top story in the latest report from FES. This revenue-sharing project with VDOT will improve Americans with Disabilities Act accessibility to local businesses by adding additional ADA parking and eight additional ramps. The county will also be widening and smoothing uneven sidewalks to make this a safer place for all. The project has a total cost estimate of $1.5 million, according to a dashboard that is part of Virginia Department of Transportation's six-year improvement program. The cost is evenly split between Albemarle County and VDOT, as this is a revenue-sharing program. The work will also prohibit left turns from the square onto Crozet Avenue, and an entrance to property that is now owned by the Virginia Passenger Rail Authority will be relocated. The Virginia Passenger Rail Authority purchased this entire line from CSX sometime in the last few years. According to the FES report, the work at the square was to have happened concurrently with the redevelopment of the Barnes Lumberyard, but the latter has not progressed to the design phase. Here's more from the report. The financial benefits associated with combining the projects have been negated, so the project is scheduled to be ready for bid advertisement in April 2024, with construction anticipated to begin in late summer. 
Construction is expected to take roughly a year. More from the Facilities and Environmental Services Report in future editions of the newsletter. Local officials around the Charlottesville region are in the process of endorsing work that the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission is currently doing to help draw down more federal money for transportation safety projects. The TJPDC secured a $857,600 grant from the U.S. Department of Transportation to create what's known as a Comprehensive Safety Action Plan for its six-member localities. This is a prerequisite for receiving funding from the 2021 Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, and specifically a program called Safe Streets for All. One person working on the project appeared before the Nelson County Board of Supervisors on February 13, 2024. Curtis Scarpignato is a planner with the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission. By developing this comprehensive safety action plan, we are going to render Nelson County and the region more broadly eligible to receive funding for implementation projects through SS4A. So this opens up a new pot of money potentially for uh, projects in the future. Scarpignato said the TJPDC will work closely with Nelson County staff to develop a local plan listing projects that could help reduce crashes. The TJPDC will also help with grant compliance. For it all to work, the TJPDC needs resolutions of support from all of the member localities that are participating. So from 2018 to 2022, there were 173 such serious injuries or fatalities on the roads in Nelson County. And the commitment must include a goal and timeline for eliminating those roadway fatalities and serious injuries, which may be accomplished through an ambitious percentage reduction goal. Nelson County Supervisor Jesse Rutherford pointed out that the 32 fatalities listed in the slide presentation for that five-year period. I'd be interested to see where those fatalities were located in our community. That information can be found on the Virginia Department of Transportation's safety dashboard. You can get information on any locality in Virginia on the interactive website. Supervisors endorsed the resolution to set the goal of reducing those fatalities in half by 2045. A few hours later, Scarpignato and other TJPDC staff traveled the 54 miles from Lovingston to Standardsville to make a presentation to the Greene County Board of Supervisors and to secure their support. So between 2018 and 2022, there were 125 deaths of serious injuries on the roads in Greene County. That breaks down as 10 fatalities and 115 serious injuries. Supervisor Davis Lamb wanted a further breakdown. Those fatalities that you have, are some of those pedestrians, I know next to the corner store, Route 607, they've had some fatalities, but there was pedestrian crossing the road. A check of VDOT's crash database shows two pedestrian fatalities in Green in 2018, including one just south of Route 607. There was another one at Route 607 in 2019 but there were no pedestrian deaths in the next three years countywide. There was one pedestrian fatality on U.S. 33 business in Standardsville in 2023. Another member of the board was skeptical that the reduction goal as stated was realistic. Here is Francis McGowan. I mean, you're saying that you're going to decrease the death rate by 2045 by 50%. So you're going to 
reduce that number to one fatality per year and 12 serious injuries, even though we're looking at a population growth of at least 35 to 40 percent. McGowan suggested it would be more honest to state the reduction target as part of a per capita basis. I, I don't think there's any way, no matter what you did, unless maybe it turned off every vehicle there was, that you would actually get anywhere near what you're talking about. Scarpignato said the county could use different metrics if they wanted, but the choice was made to replicate what the Virginia Department of Transportation is using. The way I would think of this goal is, is more about committing to the action of trying to resolve the roadway safety issues on the roadways. It's not going to be necessarily about this exact number we pick. Supervisor Lamb expressed a concern about bike lanes being close to the roadway. He would like more protection. These bicycle paths they have right on the edge of the road and they have a line and the bus, they got the riders, you know, painted on that and all. And I said, I... I I'd rather have just a small strip of grass and then a walkway with a bicycle path because I don't know, I know it may cost extra, but people are a whole lot safer. Scarpignato said the comprehensive safety plan action would address safety for all users of roadways. Lamb had one more comment. Everybody talks about walkability or something like that, walk to the store might do that in Los Angeles, but you can't do it here. <laughs> Supervisors endorsed the resolution. Scarpignato said the board should expect a report with recommendations in about a year and a half. Fluvanna supervisors had the same presentation on February 7th. The Louisa County Board of Supervisors will learn more this evening. Will their comments be enshrined in a further edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement? Stay tuned. But you are listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and more light every single day indicates a gradual move towards spring and the time when the world around us will come to life with a new season. Now is the time to plan for what you might grow to take advantage of whatever space you may have to extend a little habitat. That's where Plant Virginia Natives comes in. The initiative is part of a partnership with 10 regional campaigns for 10 different ecosystems across Virginia, from the northern Piedmont to the eastern shore. Take a look at the full map in the newsletter for the campaign for native species where you are in the Commonwealth. For the Charlottesville area, download a copy of the handbook Piedmont Native Plants, a guide for landscapes and gardens. As I plan for spring, I'm going to take a look because after almost four years of one Patreon supporter selecting this as his shout-out, I'm excited to finally get to work myself. That's Piedmont Native Plants, a guide for landscapes and gardens. Download it today, a link in the newsletter. In 14 days, Charlottesville City Manager Sam Sanders will unveil his recommended budget for fiscal year 2025, a budget that will be built on this year's property assessments, as well as a need to spend money to retain existing city staff. Council provided direction at a work session on February 1st, and at that time, Sanders said he was working to close a gap between $3 million and $4 million. A few days later, 
Council discussed the budget again during second reading of an appropriation of a surplus from the fiscal year 23 budget of over $21.7 million. No one had spoken at a January 22nd public hearing based on a recommendation from Sanders on how to allocate the funding. The second reading of the resolution to appropriate the surplus had been on the consent agenda for the February 5th meeting, but was pulled by City Councilor Brian Pinkston, who had a different idea on how to use some of the funding. So when this first came to us two weeks ago, that was before at least I knew the sort of impact of this current budget, um, the FY25 budget that we're working through. At that work session, a majority of councillors supported the possibility of raising tax rates to close the gap in order to pay staff more money by implementing the terms of a compensation study, as well as honoring collective bargaining agreements with three distinct units. Sanders has suggested doing all of that in a single year. I realize that trying to do that over multiple years makes no sense. But for the same reasons, I think that trying to uh, cover this, you know, uh, ongoing expense immediately with tax increases only is not fair to the to Charlotte, to people in Charlottesville. Pinkston suggested using some of the surplus on covering the personnel costs and pointed out that $15.82 million designated for the Capital Improvement Plan Contingency Fund was more than enough. He also said he supports potential tax rate increases, but said using surplus funds might soften the blow. City Councilor Lloyd Snook had floated the idea at that February 1st work session of a four-cent increase on the real property tax rate to close the gap, but began to reconsider. I went back and looked at the, the first thing that came to my mind was, how are we going to sell it to the citizens of Charlottesville that we've got a $20 million, $21 million surplus and we want to raise your taxes for $4 million? That doesn't make sense. Snook said the city is already using that surplus for ongoing expenses and pointed out that $2.6 million would fund a 2% cost of living increase for retired city employees. Budget Director Chrissy Hamill confirmed this as a one-time use of funds. COLA is a commonly used acronym to describe cost of living allowance. Last year, the city granted a 6% COLA to employees um, and retirees got three. So there was a 2% COLA for retirees that was unfunded. So that's this one-time payment to make up for that. And then going forward, that's covered. But it's a one-time um, actuarial payment to reduce the liability that was created for the unfunded 2% payment. The semantics of one-time use were applied to other line items, such as whether a $400,000 line item to cover the cost of an off-budget increase in the city's trash hauling contract price was a recurring expense or not. Snook also questioned a $200,000 line item that would go to a fund to pay for maintenance of properties the city leases to others. Hamill explained. Um, we're not talking about like City Hall or the Annex. We're talking about properties that have been acquired like uh, through the Zero East High property purchase and other things. There is not a pot of money beyond um, any normal maintenance money um, to cover a recurring maintenance that may happen with those properties. So this 200000 is intended to be a seed um, pot of money to help 
uh, cover the maintenance for those properties. And then the, the idea is the rent from those properties will go into an account so that we can then um, have the funding to cover that maintenance. So City Councilor Michael Payne said he supported the staff recommendation to use the surplus as is and said the funding in the capital improvement program could be used for any purpose in the future. City Manager Sanders said a good portion of the surplus was created by vacant positions that were funded but not filled. He also said he will need the entire $15.8 million that's in the CIP contingency fund. So when you received your budget preview last week, we did not spend any time talking about the surplus because it's one-time money and the intention is to use as much of it for one-time expenses related to those two priorities that this body adopted as its priorities. Sanders said the money in the CIP contingency fund would not be tied to any project at this time, but would instead be kept in reserve simply to balance the fiscal year 23 books. He said council's previously allocations from the fund allowed for the $5 million purchase of a half share of 74 affordable units from Wooded Properties, the $5.4 million acquisition of the Charlottesville Area Technical Education Center, and other big-ticket items. He said that similar large capital items are looming. If we tie this now to the implementation of collective bargaining and comp and class, you have fully restricted yourself from even having those options. And we all know that you have decisions still coming. Alternative buses, alternative fuels for EV buses. You're going to probably have another affordable housing project that is not in the five-year CIP that we're bringing to you, as well as a whole host of other things. Sanders said there are three additional collective bargaining units that will be coming to council in the future, and that's going to increase costs even further. The second reading of the resolution to adopt the allocation of staff's recommendation for the fiscal year 23 surplus passed unanimously. This conversation took place before a work session with the school board on February 7th, another item I've not had a chance to go through yet. Confused? Municipal budgeting is not a straightforward thing to understand. There is also much less substantive journalistic coverage of these sorts of things as there once might have been, and I'm hoping that changes. I write about this stuff because I want to understand, and I ask questions to try to get there. Thanks for listening. It is the end of number 638, and with this edition, I conclude coverage of the February 5th, 2024 meeting of the Charlottesville City Council. I don't believe there are many other accounts of most of what I've written, and I don't say that to brag. I say that with lament, because municipal governance is complicated, and it is very easy to take things out of context. I view my role as one that seeks to provide information and not to pass judgment. Every edition of this newsletter is intended to educate and inform, and at some point I am hoping to train people who would be interested in learning how I do this. Do you know someone who would like to learn some basic skills in reporting and production? In the weeks to come, I will be launching a new partnership project, and to pull it off, I'm looking for volunteers with the potential for payment quite possible in the future. Drop me a line if you want to hear more. Of course, I have to end this edition by reminding you that Ting will match your initial Substack payment because Ting supports community journalism. Thank you, Ting. 
Bye. See you at 639.